Merry Christmas. I'm sure you, yeah, somebody said almost, yeah, almost. <laughs> oh man, so good to be here with you guys tonight. Uh, so glad to be here and to celebrate the birth of Jesus with you guys. If you have your Bible with you and you can see it, we're going to be in Luke 2. If you don't, then that's fine. It'll be on the wall. Uh, most of us have heard this story a million times anyway, and and uh, we probably have it mostly memorized. So, you know, just kind of hang out and listen, I guess, tonight. But man, so so glad to be here with you guys and so thankful, uh, honored really that you've chosen to spend just a little bit of time with us this evening on Christmas Eve. I know that it's like a busy time for all of us. Uh, most of you probably have been somewhere already and you're going somewhere after this and maybe it's, uh, maybe it's going to be crazy next 24 hours for you, but what an amazing thing just to take a minute and just to, uh, to settle in and say, God, what, what would you have uh, for us tonight? What would you, what would you say? So. And we're going to be in Luke 2, and if you guys were here Sunday, you maybe already heard the first part. We talked about Luke 2 on Sunday, and we talked about how uh, Mary and Joseph left Nazareth of Galilee, this area, town, small town in the very most northern part of uh, the northern region of Israel, and they traveled 90 miles down to Bethlehem of Judea, a city about 11 miles outside of the capital city of uh, Jerusalem, which is amazing, a city that uh, would have been filled with uh, farms, and on those farms would have been sheep, and those sheep would have been used for uh, temple sacrifice, and anyway, they made this long 90-mile journey right there kind of at the end of Mary's pregnancy, and they rolled up into town, and wouldn't you know, about the time they got into town, um, she decided it was time to have that baby, uh, so they got to town, they didn't have a room, they didn't have reservations, in the in the Ramada Bethlehem, and uh, anyway, they they got there and they went to the inn, and there was no room in the inn, so they were uh, forced to kind of have the birth of Jesus in this little cave, this hole in the side of a cliff, um, out in the field in Bethlehem, and that is where the Son of God was born. What an amazing thought that God chose to send His Son into a into a mess into a stable, a place where animals would eat and then, you know, the byproduct of eat. Like that is the place where Jesus, the Son of God, is born. And I love that because, man, the whole story of the birth of Jesus is just a whole lot of, I can't believe that. Right? Like it's filled with people it shouldn't be filled with and it happens in places that it really shouldn't happen. And I think in church a lot of times we sanitize the story of Jesus and we're like, Jesus came for good people or church people or religious people or people that like to dress up or people that say the right words. But if you look at the life of Jesus, even in his birth, he was surrounded by people that really shouldn't have been there. And Jesus was always okay with that. We read the story a few weeks ago in in Matthew 2 about how the wise men came and you don't know much about the wise men. They're these magis, these sorcerers, these people who were pagans, had no claim to God, who were not God's people. They weren't like God's chosen people, Israel. They were these people from another uh, nation, and they came to, to celebrate the birth of the Messiah, the Savior. And when they got there, Jesus just invited them in. All the religious people probably would have been like, nope, not supposed to be here. This is not for you. Your lifestyle doesn't let this happen or your, uh, your attitude towards God doesn't let this happen. But Jesus was always inviting people like that in. And tonight we're going to look at a story in Luke 2 where we see like the very same thing with a group of people, these, these shepherds. And this is after the birth of Jesus in verse 8. And it says in the same region, the region being uh, the area around Bethlehem, um, of Judea, the city that Jesus was born in, in that same area where Jesus was born, it says there were shepherds 
And this wouldn't have been an unusual thing for Bethlehem. Bethlehem is a city surrounded by farmland, and in that farmland there would have been lots of shepherds because there's lots of sheep. It's 11 miles from Jerusalem, and it's where the sheep for the sacrifices would have been uh, raised and then sold eventually in Jerusalem. So there were shepherds there, and they were staying out in their fields. Um, Now, that's a good thing if you're a shepherd. Um, Shepherd's job is, like, by definition to watch sheep, right? So if you aren't in the field with the sheep, you're probably not a very good shepherd. Uh, so what we know is these shepherds were doing their job. They were out and they were staying out in the fields and they were uh, keeping watch at night over their flock. Again, another pretty decent idea if, if you have anything, uh, any farm animals, if you've ever been around those, you know that predators come most of the time at night. They don't like just roll up in the middle of the day when everything's awake and everything's alert. They, they come in at night and they want to sneak in and as the animals asleep, kind of take the animals. So these shepherds, this was the night shift shepherds, and they were designated to stay awake at night, and they would watch the sheep while the day shift shepherds were sleeping in the tents, right? So they would be there, and they were watching the sheep at night. That's their job, and they were protecting them from predators and thieves. Not an unusual thing, something they've done probably from very early on in life. They, this was their job. That's what they did. And it says at that moment, something very unusual happened in verse 9. It says, then the angel of the Lord stood before them. Now, that's amazing, right? Like, this is not a normal, like, nighttime shepherd activity. We don't just roll up into the field, and then the angel of the Lord comes every night and hangs out with us while you watch the sheep, although that would be really cool. That's not a normal thing. This is a thing that's never happened to these guys before. The angel of the Lord showed up, right? Like, not just some random angel, but the, the angel of the Lord, like an important guy. He shows up to the shepherds, and it says not only that, but the, the glory of the Lord shone, right, like this, this word that invokes light around them, and it says they were terrified. So they were out in the field, they were doing the thing that they've always done every night. They stand out in the, sh- the field and they watch the sheep, and that's kind of the, the job, the usual, the normal. And then suddenly something abnormal happens in the story, and the angel of the Lord shows up. And, and we've kind of got a skewed opinion of the angel of the Lord, because for us, we think of angels as the like little blonde 12-year-old girls in the, in the play that are like, Right in the little halo that's made out of aluminum foil. Like, that's what we think of when we think of an angel. Or we think of, like, this little baby thing with the little wings and the diaper and maybe the little bow and arrow. That's what we think of when we think of an angel. But that's not an angel. Right? Like, angels, they're not that. Whatever we've made them, that's not what they are. Um, angels are big, scary dudes. And uh, they're warriors. Like, that's by nature what they do. Like, if you look in the Old Testament, anytime you see an angel, he's usually, like, wiping out some group of people or something. Like, there's angels. There's one a story in the Old Testament where there's one angel that just shows up, and he kills, like, 185,000 Assyrian warriors by himself. So, like, one angel, 185,000 Assyrians trained for war, and it doesn't go well for the Assyrians. So, like, you can get the image. Like, angels, are they're, they're kind of scary. They're kind of a big deal. Like they're these bronze buff guys and they just beat people down when they're asleep. That's what they do. And they show up and they show up to the shepherds and then the shepherds are scared of that. That's like, yes, an angel. We should, we would be. Every time you see an angel in the Bible, somebody's picking themselves up off the ground. They're scary dudes. And then like compounded with that, there's the glory of the Lord. So we're like midnight, dark, watching sheep, probably like mostly asleep, just leaning over on the staff and, and, and taking a little break. And then suddenly an angel pops up and it becomes noon, right? Like the, the glory of the Lord shows up and they're terrified. 
Now, for us, right, like, that sounds like the most amazing church service gathering like we've ever been in. Like, we're like, man, that's what we pray for. Like, let the glory of the Lord shine around. There's songs about that. Like, like we think we can handle that. We can't handle that. But these guys, he shows up, and they're like, no, 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 no. That's weird. I'm scared. <laughs> and for us, like, we don't really relate to that. Or maybe, maybe some of you do. Maybe, like, if God showed up in the room tonight, you'd be like, hey, uh, this is... Probably not a good thing. Like some of us are like, I love it. Oh, that's what I'm wanting. That's what I'm praying for. I'm going to come down on Tuesday about 3 o'clock, and I'm going to just start praying. And then by Sunday, like God will be here. Like that's what, we're, that's what we're hoping for. And then some of us are in the other camp of like, no, 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 maybe not. And see, the problem is like not only is our view of the angel skewed in the story, our view of the shepherd is skewed in the story. Because I've been talking, I, my, my whole goal of Christmas every year is just to, rook, to wreck the manger scene for everybody. Like, I, I love it, but it's wrong. So, like, I just want you to go home and be like, this is wrong. Every time you look at the manger scene, every time you see the little blow mold thing out in the yard, like, I, my heart is like, you're going to be like, that's wrong. That's so wrong. That's so wrong. And that's what I'm doing right now. Um, our view of shepherds is also wrong. Like we have these plays where these little kids come down in their little robes and they're so cute and like they're dragging three more kids that are just too young to have lines. So they're the sheep, right? And like that's our, that's our thing. And then we all get up here and then there's these little cute precious moments, little children. And then the sheep are doing what sheep do. They're just roaming around. And like that's what we think of. But, but that is not a shepherd in the Bible. Especially the New Testament. Like Old Testament, like, yes, shepherds are, are, are cool. Like all the patriarchs are shepherds, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Like they're, they're all shepherds, and, and like, that's an amazing thing. But at this point in the story, like it, it is not a good thing to be a, a shepherd. You don't want to be a shepherd. Like a shepherd is a, a job reserved for the losers. Like you don't want to be a shepherd. Like shepherds, the bottom of the barrel, the social ladder. Like there's shepherds down there somewhere around tax collectors. Like, like they're down there. Uh, and just by their profession, they're, they're designated as, as sinners. And you're like, well, how does that happen? How do we get from patriarch to, to sinner? How do, because the culture just changed enough that we got there, right? Like we decided that, that this thing was, was the worst thing. The, the shepherd thing was the worst thing. And, and we attached it to these people are sinners because they touch carcasses of animals. Because if an animal dies and you're a shepherd, your job is to do something with that. And that makes you unclean. And you have to touch like the, the animal itself. And, and there's some gross Stuff that comes out, and if you've ever been around a farm animal, they're not clean. Like, they're not, like, bathed and showered and shampooed. Like, that's not a farm animal. They, they roll around in stuff, and, like, that's a farm animal. And just by nature of, of their job, they're, they're counted out as people that are, like, the bottom of the social ladder. They're people that you wouldn't invite over to Christmas dinner. They, they're, they're shunned by society. They're, they're people that you don't, like, if they're coming through town, you're like, eh, I don't want to talk to you, you're a shepherd. Like, you know, they're, they're counted as thieves and liars just because they're shepherds. They may be great people, but it doesn't matter because their job dictates their position. And their position is they, they're a sinner, and you just don't mess with sinners. Not when you're the most religious people on the planet. When you're the most religious people on the planet, you don't mess with sinners. So God shows up, and an angel shows up, and, and their first thought is, I'm dead. Not, let's worship, man. Let's have a party. Let's, let's go to church. It's, I'm dead. Shepherds weren't allowed to roll up in the temple. Like, I couldn't get clean because I couldn't go in the temple to make a sacrifice because I was too unclean even to do that. I had to change my profession to, to go into the temple and be redeemed. I would have to do some major overhaul in my life, and I just can't climb up out of being a shepherd. 
So God shows up and they think, I'm dead, I'm doomed, it's over for me, he's finally come to kill me. Because when enough people tell you that you're so far away from God, you can never get back to God. When enough people say that, you start believing that. So God shows up and they think, I'm doomed, I'm dead. And they fall down, right, they're terrified because they're thinking, God is surely here to kill me. And he's brought this guy, this angel, who's going to do it. That's what's happening, right? Like that didn't, maybe didn't make it into the manger scene at home, but it made it into the story. This is then the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And it says in ten, but this is what the angel said: "Not oh, you stinking dirty shepherds, right?" Like he didn't say that. It's not written in there. It's not a super religious angel. Um, but he said to them. Like, like the angel of the Lord, like God's there witnessing this, which means he's speaking for God. He's God's angel and God is sent there. And this is, what's, this is what's taking place. And it says, the angel of the Lord said to them, don't be afraid. What's he saying? He's inviting them to not be afraid, right? Like, don't be afraid doesn't help anything. Like, if a bus is coming and you're in the middle of the road and I shout, don't be afraid. Like, <laughs> you're probably still going to be afraid or, or you're dumb, right? Like, because um, the bus is still coming. But if the bus driver leans out the window and says, hey, I'm going to stop, you don't have to be afraid. Okay, that means something a little bit different. So the angel's like, hey, you don't have to be afraid. He's inviting them into a place of, you don't got to be freaked out right now. What's happening is not going to end in your doom. You don't have to be afraid. You can be afraid if you want to, but you don't have to be. Don't be afraid. For look, here's what's coming. Do you see it? Open your eyes. Look, I proclaim to you. Now, proclaim is a word that just means that I'm going to officially state to you something. Proclaim is officially and publicly state something. So he says, hey, this is official. This is an announcement from God, and I'm stating it for everybody to hear. I proclaim to you good news. I didn't show up to kill you today. I brought good news today. I didn't show up to like... Get you with the bus today. I showed up today to bring good news. Now, what, what is good news translated? Like, what is that? That's the, that's the gospel, right? Like, the gospel just means good news. Like, the first thing we see in Luke 2, the first group of people that get the gospel are these people. People that society says there's no way. People that everybody said there's no way. People that say you got no claim to God. You can't get to God. You can't redeem. You, can, you, can't get un, you can't get clean. There's nothing for you. Just go out in the field and watch the stupid sheep, you dirty sinner. Everybody said that to them their whole life. And the angel shows up and he's like, everybody listen. Everybody listen right now. I want, I want your eyes. I want your ears. I got something to tell you. There's good news. I'm bringing the gospel I didn't bring it first to the temple, right? It didn't come to the religious people first. It didn't come over here to the, to the, to the palace first. I didn't tell the rich people first. I didn't go tell the good people. I didn't tell any of those people. I come for the people that are the most counted out. The people everybody says, there's nothing for you. That's who the angel showed up to. And that's who God showed up to. And he says, I got the gospel for you today. Oh, sure, it's for everybody else too, but I want everybody to know the gospel starts at the bottom of the ladder, not at the top of the ladder. It's not some trickle-down gospel where it gives it to the religious people and then it filters down to the very worst of the worst. No, God starts at the very worst of the worst and he lets the gospel trickle up. He says, I got good news for you today. 
And I want you to know, it's not just good news, right? Like we've heard it a million times, we don't have to read it. It's of great joy, not just moderate joy or kind of okay joy or, eh, we like to kind of sing the song joy or like, eh, that's not really my personality joy, but like, I'm going to knock your socks off joy. I got like the best stinking news you have ever heard before in your life right now, and it's going to blow you away. That's what the angel says. I got good news today of great joy. And it's going to be for what? All people. Not just some people. Not just religious people. Not just people that happen to roll into church on the right day. But for like all the people. This is for all the people. It's not for select people or some people or kind of a little bit of people. Or or for the people that got it all together. It's for all the people. I got good news to you today for of great joy and it's going to be for all people that's the gospel good news great joy all people and then there's this colon there a little two dots i learned some english last night now colon is when you take two independent clauses or sentences and you jam them together and and it, it allows the second one to explain the first one so the first Sentences, hey, I got good news today of great joy. It's going to be for all the people. And the second one is, let me tell you about it. Let me, let me tell you about this gospel. Let me tell you just a second today about the gospel. He says, today, today, right now, a savior, right? So step one, a savior, not a healer or a teacher or a prayer or, or any of those other things that Jesus is. Jesus obviously heals people. We see it all through the Bible. There's people that can't see that Jesus just says, open your eyes, and they do that. There's people that can't walk, and Jesus says, get up and walk, and they do that. Like Jesus does heal people. Not a teacher, although Jesus does teach, right? Like they say about him that nobody's ever taught like Jesus teaches. Like that is, that is true. Not a prophet, although Jesus was the greatest, right, of all the prophets. He come in and he's like, I, I'm, I'm God. I'm not like one of those other guys. But let me tell you about what God's saying. Like obviously, yes, that's part of what he is, but that's not what he is. He says, a savior. What did Jesus primarily come to do? He come to save. He does all those other things. Jesus is going to heal people. He still does that. I believe that. Jesus is going to teach people. He still does that. I, I believe that. Jesus is doing amazing things right now today on this planet. But the primary purpose of Jesus, even in the cradle, right, is to what? To save. Today there's a savior. There wasn't a savior yesterday, but today there is. And this Savior, right, who is the Messiah, the Lord. He's the Messiah. He's not just like any old Savior. He is the one that we've been waiting on, right? Like in Genesis 3, we saw that man fell. Man walked in the garden with God. He was intimate with God. He had a relationship with God. God would show up every single day, and he would talk to man, and he would love on man, and he would hug man, and he would walk with man. And they knew what it sounded like for God to walk in the garden. Like that is this God, and that's the relationship. And then they said, you know what? Uh, That's cool and all, but I really want that fruit. I think God's holding something back from me, so I'm going to take this thing. It's not about a piece of fruit. It's about saying I want that more than I want this relationship with God. Right? Like that is exactly what sin is. It's not about the sin. Put whatever you want to in the blank, whatever you deal with in the blank. It's not about the sin. No, those, no sin's greater than any other sin. No, no sin you're committing is greater than eating any apple. Right? Like it's just I've decided this is the thing that I want more than God. And I'm devaluing God. I'm saying, God, you're just not as important as this thing. 
And at that moment, man fell and the relationship was broken. But in that same moment, before he even got to the end of the chapter, what did God say? Hey, I'm sending a seed. And this seed, this, this person that's coming, he, he's going to crush the serpent's head. He's going to break the fangs of the serpent. And, and death is broken. The poison is out of the fangs at that moment. Like, like the, the, the sting of death is dead when the, serpent, when the serpent's head is crushed. Like that's what he's saying. And he spends the rest of the Old Testament just unfolding who this person's going to be. And the angel steps up and the first person he says, hey, he's here to is the people that have no claim to God, right? The bottom of the barrel, the worst of the worst. He shows up and he's like, hey, I want you to know today there's a savior and it's the Messiah that we've been waiting on. And before we tell anybody else, we just want to tell you. The Messiah, who's the Lord, he's here. And then he says this, and this is the most crazy like sentence in this. He, he looks at these guys and he says he was born for you in the city of David. He looks at these, these shepherds, these people that society has counted out who, who said, there's no way you're coming to God. People who have been overlooked over and over and over again. People who everybody has said, you're worthless, you mean nothing. You can't be redeemed, you can't be restored, you can't be saved, you have no claim to God. Don't worry about praying, he's not going to listen to you. Don't worry about looking, he's not going to be found by you. And God shows up in the story to people who have been overlooked over and over and over again. To people who have been counted out over and over and over and over again. To people who have been said, there's no way you're coming to God over and over and over and over again. And God shows up and he said, hey, a Savior has been born today. And he's for you. Can you imagine hearing that? Can you imagine like your whole life people have avoided you in the streets? Your whole life, you've been run down over and over and over again. You're walking through the city and they're like, oh, gross, there's a shepherd. That's disgusting. They shouldn't be here. Oh, don't touch that. He touched that. Don't touch that. Going to hell. There's no way that it's sinners. And God shows up in the story and he says, hey, the Savior's here. And he came for you. What's God speaking into that? God's saying, man, you may have felt overlooked your whole life, but I want you to know I've not overlooked you. you. You may have felt worthless your whole life, but I want you to know tonight you're not worthless to me. You, you may have felt unloved and unwanted everywhere you've ever been, but I want you to know I showed up first today to you because you're not unnoticed and unwanted to me. Uh, I want you to know, maybe everybody says you're hopeless, but I, want, I showed up in the field today to say there is hope for you. So for everybody that feels hopeless and unloved and unwanted and overlooked, everybody that feels you got no way back to God, everybody that feels you're too far gone, God showed up and he said, you're never too far gone. 
You're never overlooked in the economy of God. You are never undervalued in the economy of God. Your family may look down on you and your friends may look down on you and everybody around you may look down on you, but God's like, I'm not looking down on you today. You were first on the list. I got the invitation and I'm here today for you. I wanted to tell you there is a Savior and His name is Christ the Lord. And He's not just for other people. And He's not just for church people and religious people and people that have it all together. He's for all the people. Starting with you. How amazing. How amazing. He goes on. He says, hey, he's he's not far from you. He's over here in a manger. Go see him. And they're like, wait, 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 wait. wait. I'm dreaming. Um, The son of God was born in a manger. It doesn't make sense. Whatever. I'm asleep. Uh, Pinch me. Pinch me. Go ahead. You know, grab grab this. Wake me up, Joe. Like, this is obviously not, not real. I think that's our, always our first response, right, to, to that grace. Is I, I, I don't know about that. So about the time that, that they began to doubt, um, it says, suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God, and they were saying, glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Now, the glory of God is a lot of words. It's the beauty of God, but, but it's, it's one amazing thing. It's the manifest presence of God. And what he's saying is you've never seen anything like this. I don't know what you've seen, but you've never seen anything like this. Glory to God in the highest heaven. God has showed up on the planet today, people. Peace on earth. Not just peace between me and you, but peace between man and God. He come bringing what? Peace between man and God. I don't have to be afraid anymore. I don't have to be afraid he's going to crush me and kill me and stamp me out. Like Jesus came and Jesus died to bring me peace with God. I can have relationship again. I can be with God again. He's not my enemy and I'm not his enemy. And I may have rebelled, but he's inviting me back in. It's in the song. And goodwill to people he favors. When the angel had left them and returned to heaven, this is what the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened. This is how the the story ends. They go to Bethlehem and they see the baby and they leave and they're telling everybody about the baby because once you've seen Jesus, that's what happens. You, You leave and you leave changed and you, you tell everybody, like, that's the amazing part. But, but here's what's really cool. They heard this story of, of the grace of God, how, how God came and he, and he said, hey, I'm for you and I love you and I want you and, you and you're mine and you may be overlooked and you may be counted out, but you're not with me. And, and I wanted you to know that because I came for you. When God stepped out of heaven and he came down, he surrounded himself with people that like everybody else counted out. And he's still doing that today. He's still surrounding himself with people that like everybody would look at, including the church, and say, there's no way in the world God would save you. 
You know, that's, that's been my prayer ever since we started this place, that we'd be a church full of people that the rest of the church would look at, big church, global church would look at and be like, there's no way in the world God would save those people. See, because I believe what God says in the story. I, I believe Luke 2. I love Luke 2 because here's the reality. God came for all the people. And I've looked at people before in the church, in my pride, in my I'm better than everybody else, which is so false. I've looked at people like that and thought, there's no way God's going to save them. I've looked at people before and thought, there's no way they're getting back to God. I've looked at people before and thought, there's no way in the world that living that way or being that way or talking that way or acting that way or doing that thing that God would save those people. And I want you to know today, I was wrong every single time. And God has never looked at any of those people and said, there's no way in the world I would save you. God has never looked at any of those people and thought, there's no way in the world that, 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 that I would sacrifice my son for you. God has never looked at any individual on the planet and thought, you're too far gone. God has never looked at any individual on the planet and thought, you're overlooked today or you're unloved today. All the time, God's looking at all the people with the gospel in his eyes and saying, I sent Jesus for you. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are or where you come from or what you participated in or what you're doing or what you're thinking or how you're living. It doesn't matter. Jesus came for all the people. Every single people. That's who Jesus came for. And when he stepped down out of heaven, the reason he made his first act to send an angel and the father to the people at the bottom of the barrel is because he knew that week after week after week after week, there'd be people all over this planet that have heard Jesus wouldn't come for me. Jesus wouldn't save me. And he wanted to be able to look back and say, No, bro, you got it wrong. I came for you. I came for you. And I want you to hear that tonight. Whoever you are, wherever you are, every person in a chair tonight, God is saying tonight, you aren't too far gone. And you aren't overlooked. There's a million of us tonight, right now, that could raise our hand and say, Christmas sucks. This is what happened to me on Christmas. Man, do you know what happened to me this year? Do you know who in my family passed away this year? This year sucks. Christmas sucks. There's somebody that got news maybe this week, maybe last week, maybe, maybe a month ago, this year, that somebody in your family or maybe even you had some horrible disease. And you may right now feel overlooked and unloved by God. And I want you to know today, you are not overlooked. And you are not unloved. That God sees you and he loves you. And in this moment, in this season, in in the very worst moment, God came for you. Some of us struggle with sin. All, All of us struggle with sin. Let's just be honest. And maybe we've heard, you know, like, God doesn't love you. God doesn't want you. You're an abomination. All all the horrible things that people say to people that struggle with sin, which I don't understand because we all struggle with sin. And maybe you've heard that. And I just want you to know today, God didn't say those things. I don't know what those people said to you, but God didn't say those things. He said he loves you. And he came for you. And he wants you. And you're worth something. And you're not overlooked tonight. And he cares about you. And he came for you. 
So I don't, I don't know what's happening at home. I don't know who at home is saying they don't love you or maybe who even left saying they don't love you. But God tonight saying, I love you. I sent Jesus for you. Let's not worry about what those people say for just a moment. Let's worry about what Jesus says. You're not valueless tonight. You are not overlooked tonight. You are not unloved tonight. You are noticed and you are loved and you are wanted by a father in heaven so much. He loves you so much that he sent his one and only son so that anybody and everybody that would believe would, wouldn't perish, would have everlasting life, could go be with God forever because he loves you that much. You're so valuable to him. And I don't know what you've told you or what people have told you or what situations have told you or what circumstances have told you. But the amazing thing about tonight is we can all run to this place, this manger place, this, this cradle, this crib around this baby who is the son of God. And we can all hear tonight the angels say, I've got some really good news for you. It's going to knock your socks off. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. I have good news of great joy. For 2,000 years ago, man, a Savior was born for you today. And the economy of the world may say you're not worth very much, but I want you to know the economy of heaven says you are worth the crown jewel. That God emptied the storehouses of heaven for you when he poured out his son on a cross. You are loved and valuable. You have hope. You are not today too far gone from a father who loves you.